0: Congratulations, you made it all the way up here. You found us. Good job. Um, thank you for your patience and flexibility. Um, but yeah, we're uh, we're here. And today uh, we're going to start a new series on community. So this is a mini-series, three-part mini-series. Uh, today we'll be looking at answering the question, why is community important? Next week, look at what is community? What does it look like? Last week, some ideas for how to foster, how to plug into community. But like I said, today we're going to be laying a foundation and looking at the question of why is community important? Why is it essential? And so this, since this is the beginning of the series, I figured let's start at the beginning. Right? So in the beginning was a community. All right? A divine community. One being consisting of three persons in an everlasting relationship overflowing with love. Scripture teaches us that God is a triune community. In Jesus' high high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, many times We see Jesus as he is speaking to his heavenly Father, referring to the glory that he, Jesus, shared with the Father before the world existed. And we hear him speaking of the love with which the Father had loved the Son before the foundation of the world. We look at places like 1 John 4 8, it's one of our favorite Bible verses, right? God is love. God is love. But notice that this this verse tells us what God is. It's not primarily talking about what God does. Right? It's saying God is love. And if love describes God, and we know that God doesn't change, and we know that God is eternal, then we know that God has always been love, which begs the question. Who or what has God loved for all time? Love can only exist when there's an object to love. There has to be something or someone else to love. But before God created the universe, who or what else existed except for God? Author Jared Wilson gets to this question this way. He says, A solitary God cannot love He may learn to love, he may yearn for love, but he cannot in himself be love since love requires an object. Real love requires relationship. In the doctrine of the Trinity, we finally see how love is part of the fabric of creation. It's essential to the eternal need-nothing creator. From eternity past, the Father and Son and Spirit have been in community, in relationship. They have loved each other. That loving relationship is bound up in the very nature of God himself. If God were not a trinity, but merely a solitary divinity, he could neither be love nor be God. For all of eternity, a loving community has existed. Perfect fellowship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And and we exist to experience and be drawn into that loving fellowship. This is why we were created. Theologian Michael Reeves writes, Creation is about the extension of that love outward so that it might be enjoyed by others. The fountain of love brimmed over the Father so delighted in His Son that His love for Him overflowed. He has always enjoyed showering his love on his son, and in creating, he rejoices to shower it on children he loves through the son. So we were created in the image of God. And the idea of community, first and foremost, finds its origin in God himself. So if we want to answer the question, why is community important? There's your answer. Humans were designed to be relational. We were created for community. The desire to be in community is human. It's part of what it means to be a created in God's image. We can just end the sermon right now, but there's more to say. So, But that's the first and best answer, right, of why community is important. It's because it flows from who God is and how he's created us. But before we go any farther, we've been talking about community. What is community? Let's define it, all right? Oh, we have a slide. So look at the word, right? Common and unity, right? A community is people who find unity by sharing something in common. It really tells you all you need to know about what a community is. This is why in every culture, every nation, every place on earth you see people gathering into relationships, societies, uniting around common interests, goals, needs, all sorts of things that people find in common and they create unity around those common things. Wherever you go in the world you will find community and wherever you go in the world you will discover that community is difficult it's not easy and and do you want to know what some of the hardest places in the world to find true meaningful community these in in the modern world these are some of the top three obstacles to genuine community number one urban life right cities are some of the loneliest places in the world which is ironic, because you're surrounded by people. Number two, social media. Right, you're connected to everyone, but you're known by no one. And number three, living through a pandemic. Right? being isolated. Do, do any of these uh, sound familiar? Has anybody here experienced one of those things? Right. I mean, what I'm saying is, we are living in one of the most difficult times in history, one of the most difficult places in the world to finding true genuine community. So I want to start this morning just by celebrating the fact that we're all here. That that you've made it here today. The fact that you are here means so much more than you probably realize because in order for you to get here, you had to push through and push past some voices that are saying that it's not worth it that it's not important it's not worth your time and the effort that it takes just stay home watch online it's not worth the risk of getting sick it's not worth getting up for I mean you might have gotten the email and seeing like who's preaching this week and like oh I think I can skip that one yeah, you know, I, I can sleep in. I can find a better preacher online, find YouTube or something, right? Or, or, or it's not rescheduling my my schedule so I can prioritize being together with the people of God. And yeah, I realize there's legitimate reasons not to make it right. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but I do want to recognize that there are real obstacles to pursuing creating and maintaining genuine Christian community. But you're here. We're here. We've come together, united in a common purpose, and that is to worship our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. So praise God, we're here. But even those of us that are here, we're probably thinking, this can't be all that there is. To Christian community there's got to be more than just this right because as important as this gathering is as important as singing and hearing the Word of God preached and taking communion together and all the things that we do here it's not all that there is to being part of God's people I mean community is not an event right I know a popular verse that uh, is often used to kind of hit people over the head with sometimes when they're not coming to church as much as they need to. Hebrews 10, right? Hebrews 10 verse 25, right? It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Like, Billy, you haven't been to church for a while. It says not to neglect meeting together. You better show up next week, right? Maybe that's just me, but that's true, right? Like, we should meet together. But what is the point of meeting together? We'll put that verse back in its context and we can see what the point is. It says not to neglect meeting together because it's in the habit of continuously meeting together that we stir each other up to one uh, to love and good works and we encourage one another. So the point isn't just to show up to the event It's not just to sit in your seat and listen to a sermon and maybe shake a hand or two on your way out. That's missing the whole point. The whole point of the meeting, according to this passage, is to hold fast to the gospel and stir each other up to love and good works and encourage one another. That one another, that's really key. It's not just let the worship band stir you up. It's not just let the preacher stir you up, it's stir up one another. This means we have to know each other. This means we have to get into each other's lives. I mean, how meaningfully can we stir each other up if we don't even know each other, right? now. listen Christian community is not less than the Sunday service right everything must flow from the word being preached the preaching ministry is is supreme right I don't want John Zang coming after me right (laughs) like I I hold the preaching of the word of God at the highest level right but community is what is created when we sit under the priest word and then we go live in light of it together as God's people throughout the week outside of the walls of the church so at the remaining time today I, w- I want to look at a few uh, more of the reasons that scripture gives us to answer the question why is community important I think the best way to see that is looking at how does God's word talk about the people of God. And God gives us lots of metaphors and illustrations of how God's people are to live life together. And so we're going to look at a couple of those. We're not going to look at them all, but we're going to look at three. We're going to look at body, family, and temple. All right. So let's real quick jump into the first one. The Word of God says that the people of God are the body of Christ. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to read a long passage here, but it's worth it, so just track with it. Um, Because I don't think it needs a whole lot of explanation, so I'm just going to read it because it's pretty clear what it's communicating. And then we don't need to talk about it a whole lot, but let's read it. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Is that not pretty clear? I mean, I think that's a really helpful metaphor, right? Right? We're all part of one body, and not one part is more important or less essential than another, right? One of the things that drove this home for me was, was when I was with the Marine Corps. I, I was with the Marine Corps for three years, and um, at least in American culture, but I think maybe worldwide, Marines are, are pretty well known, right? They're, they have a good reputation overall. They're known as being uh, very effective, um, prestigious, uh, decorated. They get the job done. And when I was with the Marines, I, I, I got a little bit of a glimpse into why that is. And, and it's in their name, right? Marine Corps. And Corps isn't spelled C O R E. It's spelled C-O-R-P-S, right, and that's Latin for body, right? The Marine Corps sees themselves as not an organization or a company, not a club, but a body, okay? And, And most Marines understand this and they have a real sense of belonging to something that's bigger than themselves. And that something bigger is not just a job or a paycheck, it's each other. They belong to each other. They are a body united in one purpose with one mission. And that makes them very effective because you see how powerful this analogy is, right I don't know but The word of God says that we are the body of Christ and we are all individually members of this body so I'm looking out at a room right now of body parts okay I'm not going to start like assigning okay well you're the spleen and you're this you know I'm not going to say what body parts you are but um but let's just for an example um Samuel what body part you want to be Okay, that's that's what uh, the first service picked too, so <laughs> it's nice and safe. All right, let's say you're the right hand. Okay, all right. So this is my right hand. If I hurt my right hand, does the rest of my body just be like, oh wow, what's that right hand doing over there? Like, looks like it's really hurting. Like, let's say I cut my finger off. Am I might just be like, oh man, that? That's, that's bad for the the hand poor thing um, uh, whatever I hope, he, I hope he figures it out you know like no if, if a finger gets cut my whole body hurts I feel it in my whole body right now if Samuel is struggling with something Should we sit back and be like, oh man, that's sad for him. I'll pray for him. Maybe I'll send him some you know, praying hands emoji. That'll make him feel better. <laughs> like, like, no. If part of our body is hurting and is sick, the healthy body rallies to find healing for that part of the body. And it makes the whole body stronger. And it's a beautiful thing. Let's look at another passage. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. All right. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's a whole other sermon there. It's the saints who do the work of the ministry. <laughs> from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Spiritual maturity means growing more like Christ. And we grow together, not in isolation, right? If you want to grow your muscles, you don't detach your muscle and put it in the refrigerator or something or like feed it cat food or something and expect it to grow, right? You you work it out as part of your body, right? It grows together with the other muscles and tendons and all that. I'm not a science guy, but it, it grows as it is part of the body. We grow together. Notice how many times we and we all is used in this Ephesians passage. You are not going to grow in Christ if you are not in Christ-centered community. You're not going to grow if you're not attached to the body of Christ in a meaningful way. I've been in ministry over 20 years now. And I'll tell you the thing that is the best indicator of if you will be walking with the Lord in 10 years, if God gives you those years, It's if you're in community now. If you're pressing into and prioritizing being in community. Because being in community is where you grow in Christ. And being in a community is where we find the strength to fight sin and Satan. Some, maybe many of you, in here today are are struggling with maybe a specific sin and maybe you have for a long time and you're struggling alone and some of you might be wondering hey i i read my bible i i thought that me being a christian meant that i would be able to resist sin isn't that what what James tells me, right, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Like look at James chapter 4 verse 7. It says resist the devil and he will flee from you, (laughs) right? Or Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world you might read these and get the impression that this fight against the devil this resisting is something that you do by yourself like 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 an old western like all right you and me devil high noon be there right or, or, like I'll see you out back, devil, and man to man, we're gonna duke this out like like that's not what it's saying. and this is one of the limitations of the English language is that we don't have a very good way to differentiate between singular you and plural you, right? But in the Greek, it's very clear in the original language, it's very clear that resist the devil and he will flee from you, that you. It's not you individually. It's you as a community. Or be sober-minded, be watchful. Those are all plural commands, plural verbs. Um, And and also saying that uh, your adversary, that your is a plural your, right? So we resist the devil as we are the body of Christ, as we are in community, as we are... Pointing each other back to the promises of God in Jesus. I don't know if we showed that meme, but it speaks for itself. There really is no such thing as a healthy body that is not connected to its parts, right? There's no such thing as a healthy body part that's not connected to the body, and there really is no such thing as a healthy Christian. Who's not connected to the body of Christ? We need each other. So, God's people are a body. Secondly, God's people are a family. You see, our new identity in Christ doesn't just radically reorient our relationship with God, it reorients our relationships with each other. This is why the New Testament is soaked with family language. When it talks about the people of God, we can see it when, when Christians refer to each other in Scripture as brothers and sisters. In fact, this is the most common way that Christians are described in the New Testament. Or just look at the Lord's Prayer, right? What do we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. Not your Father, His Father, my Father. Our Father. One family. Over and over again, God's word tells us that in Christ we have been formed into a family. We don't get God without getting God's family. And we can't say we love God and hate or ignore or be ambivalent towards his children that he loves. Just imagine being part of a family, but never talking to anybody in your family, avoiding them. Not even knowing their names or what they look like, where they live, what they like or dislike. That would not be a healthy family. Some of you may have experienced family like that, but but you know that that's not how it's supposed to be. And when we look at the New Testament, we see that the healthiest, most vibrant churches were the ones that treated each other like family. Look at Romans chapter 12. Verses nine to thirteen it says, "Let love be genuine." You could translate it, "Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent, fervent in spirit. serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There's many marks of true Christian community listed in this passage, but I just want to hone in on one and it's devoted family love. Do you see the, the family language that Paul uses in verse 10? And actually the NIV does a, does a better job here of translating the original. The NIV puts it this way. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And there's two important words here for love. The first one is devoted. And the second one is brotherly love. The word devoted was usually used to talk about the love of a parent for a child. And the word for brotherly love comes from Philadelphia. Which if you're following the Super Bowl you might know what that means. But it it means brotherly affection all right so these two words are both combined in this one verse and John Stott noted he said both words were applied originally to blood relationships in the human family but Paul reapplies them to the tender warm affection which should unite the members of the family of God you see this kind of Identity as a family. This is a uniquely Christian concept. It's spiritual adoption. It's the truth that through faith in Christ, we become a gospel-formed family. Not just fellow church attenders. Not just Bible study members. Not just mom's group WhatsApp acquaintances. Family. That should make a difference in how we treat each other. should make a difference in how we sacrifice for each other, how we care for each other, how we support and cheer each other on, how we confront and exhort and encourage and rebuke and forgive each other, how we prioritize our schedules to make room in our lives for each other. Before we move on, I, I want to point out one more aspect of this kind of gospel foreign family from Romans chapter 12. Verse 13, it says this. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now there's a reason that the words hospital and hospice come from the word hospitality. The word means to welcome The stranger into your home. For the early church, this sometimes literally meant turning your house into a hospital. How many of you have been to a hospital? (laughs) Do you want to live there? Do you want your house to be a hospital? Right? I mean, what that means is our homes are to be spiritual and sometimes actual literal hospitals for the people God brings in our lives, for the broken sinners around us. Christian community is sometimes hard because it's full of messy sinners like you and me. But just because it's hard is not a reason to give up on it. In fact, it's often because of the very fact that community is sometimes difficult, that community is good. God has a perfect plan to form Christ in us, To make us more like Jesus. And the way he does that often is through imperfect, messy, sinful people around us as we welcome them into our lives and into our homes. We are to seek to show hospitality. So, God's people are a body, they're a family. Number three, a temple. We don't have enough time to, to even scratch the surface, really, of, of this dynamic metaphor, but I want to look at, at one passage back in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> We're going to jump in at verse 13, and Paul has been talking about how the gospel has torn down the barriers and the, the divisions and the hatred between the Gentiles and the Jews. And we're going to kind of jump into the middle of this conversation uh, that, that he's writing about that. So verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who, were once, who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see in the old testament the temple was originally constructed to be the place where the nations could come and see where god dwells with his people they could see the majesty of god they could worship god and paul's saying now that through the gospel God's majesty is put on display as he gathers his people from every tribe and nation and builds them into a temple joined together in Christ. The gospel unites people who have nothing else in common except Christ. I mean, just—I want you to take a moment and just look around this room. Like, literally, do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right? This room has no other explanation apart from the gospel. There's some people in here that have a lot in common, there's some people in here that have almost nothing in common except Christ. Christ has brought us together. It's the only thing that makes sense about what we're doing right now. It's the only reason we're here. This is what the gospel does. This is what the gospel has always done. I mean just look even at the disciples, right? You had had Simon the Zealot who's like a terrorist against the Romans. You had Matthew who was a tax collector who would steal money from his own people to make the Romans rich. These are two total opposite sides of the spectrum yet when they meet jesus they become brothers the gospel breaks down those kinds of barriers and it creates a new family that's what we see in the early church right jews and gentiles men and women masters and slaves rich and poor And this unity in diversity that the gospel brings it creates a powerful apologetic a a powerful testimony to the world remember what Jesus says in, in in John chapter 13 talking to his disciples he says by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another do you want people to know that you're Jesus's disciple then you've got to let them see how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ and how you let them love you. That's one of the most powerful arguments to the reality of the gospel in your life. And again, just practically speaking, this community witness, it's, it's not mainly going to happen here on a Sunday morning on the 23rd floor, right? It says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples all people can't see this right now right very few for the world to see the love christians have for each other that love must be demonstrated outside the walls of the church building the world isn't in the church building if christians want to show the world that they are believers in christ They need to love each other in community, in public. Oftentimes that's in small groups or in houses or or in your workplace. But it's out in the open where the world can see. And this won't just happen. We don't just kind of drift towards this. We have to intentionally pursue it. A lot of times I'll I'll hear people say, like, they're just kind of bouncing around churches and like, well, you know, I'm just... I'm searching for a good community. I'm, I'm looking for community. And I get what they're saying, but really, you don't look for it. You, you create it. Community is something that you intentionally seek to create around the gospel. So just in closing, let's look back at John 17. We started there. Let's, let's end there. And remember, this is God the Son Talking to God the Father. And in verse 20, this is what he says. He says, I do not ask for these only. And that's talking about his disciples. He's, I'm, I'm not asking only for these 11 disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know who that is? That's us. All of us who believe, we believe because we believe the word that the disciples passed down about who Jesus is and what he did. Jesus is praying for you the night before he's crucified. And what does he pray? He prays that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Jesus is praying that we would know the unity that the Trinity is has experienced for all time. That we would know the true Christ-centered community that we have with each other. And that we would truly know and be truly known by each other and by God. That we would be united by our shared experience of the gospel. For what purpose? Why is he praying these things? He says in verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. He praised these things so that the world may know the truth about Jesus Christ and be invited into the love of this community. This is why we exist. This is what we were built for. This is what Christ went to the cross to purchase with his own blood, a people bought by his blood empowered by the spirit to experience the love of the father christian community is important because it is what the christian life is amen let's pray dear god um We thank you that you are who you are, Lord, that you are a God who rejoices in loving, loving even sinners like us, and that you invite us in to knowing you and being known by you. And you sent your Son to make a way for us to know you and to know your love and you've created us and you've formed us into a body into a family into a temple where you dwell Lord help us to proclaim your truth your love your majesty who you are Lord and help us to do it in a way that the world sees Lord, Satan wants to divide us, wants to isolate us. Lord, I pray that today through your word, that your spirit has been drawing us back to a commitment to pursuing true, genuine Christian community. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.